Howdy folks, Josh King here. Welcome to Podcast Talks, where we look to an old book to help us live as new men. Podcast Talks is a ministry both of and for Meridian Church. If that ain't you, stick around, be our guest. Today's reading takes us back to the 4th century, to what is likely the most beloved of Aurelius Augustine's works, his Confessions. And though not strictly an autobiography, it is autobiographical. Historian Philip Schaff says of them, of all autobiographies, none has so happily avoided the reef of vanity and self-praise, and none has won so much esteem and love through its honesty and humility, as that of St. Augustine. Now, by confessions, Augustine intends a double meaning. His confessions are a prayer to God, and the things he confesses are, first, his sin. That's what we would expect. But then also there is the confession of God's grace. Using confession there in the sense of, we speak of a confession of faith. So he's confessing that he is a sinner. And that God is gracious. You can see then Warfield's brilliance in stating that the closest thing in literature to Augustine's confessions is John Bunyan's grace abounding to the chiefest of sinners. They're both of them not strictly autobiographies. They're not even autobiographical accounts of their conversion, so much as they are this effort to demonstrate the great grace of God in relation to them as great sinners. Augustine wrote the confession sometime around 397. It was a matter of just a few years after he had become the Bishop of Hippo that he wrote it, and he's looking back on his past life. And it's helpful to understand then that Augustine was converted at the age of 32. He, prior to his conversion had indulged his lust, rejecting the Christianity of his mother for the paganism paganism of his father. Our reading today comes from Book 10 of the Confessions, Chapter 40. I'll be reading from my favorite translation, that of Henry Chadwick. It's published by Oxford University Press. Page 202. My entire hope is exclusively in your very great mercy. Grant what you command and command what you will. You require continence. A certain writer has said, as I knew that no one can be continent except God grants it. And this very thing is part of wisdom to know whose gift it is. By continence we are collected together and brought to the unity from which we disintegrated into multiplicity. He loves you less who together with you love something which he does not love for your sake. O love, 
you ever burn and are never extinguished. O charity, my God, set me on fire. You command continence, grant what you command, and command what you will. In Augustine's Confessions, we see his doctrine of grace in the bud. It's not here presented in its most mature and developed form, but it is presented as being that which is most dear to his heart. And the grace, as it's simply presented in bud, would be what would later spark the Pelagian controversy. It was that line, my entire hope is exclusively in your very great mercy. Grant what you command and command what you will. It's that line that infuriated Pelagius, thinking it would produce passive Christians who indulge in sexual immorality. He, he believed that it was within man, of himself, without divine grace, it was within man to obey God's commands. And thus man was responsible. See, when Augustine speaks of continence, it isn't his bowels, but sexual chastity that is his concern. Whenever he left the home at age 17 to pursue further education in Carthage, he there began to indulge the lust of the flesh, and he would soon take a nameless concubine who would remain with him for some 15 years. Augustine is desperate for grace here because he knows God can have no rivals. He says he loves you less who together with you love something which he does not love for your sake. Some souls feel convicted for any delight or joy that they have, that they experience, in which God is not immediately in view. And this can lead to a kind of asceticism. Steak is avoided because we enjoy it. And we know that that obligatory blessing is just a formality. What we're really after is the steak, and then we might feel guilty that we've enjoyed some pleasure in which God was not in view at all, and so we abstain from it. Or this can lead to some kind of super piety, giving thanks after every bite and let everyone, letting everyone know just how thankful we are to God for the steak ad nauseum. But wisdom knows that the best way to glorify a chef is not to be preoccupied with the chef while you're eating his steak. If he comes to mind and you think he's excellent, that's, that's great and good, but you need to enjoy the steak itself so that you can most fully compliment and express your gratitude towards the chef for what he's done. God is the author of the pleasures, and he is not threatened by them. We may pervert them, but he isn't threatened by them. And so what we must learn to do is not to ignore them, but to indulge them without iniquity. We must enjoy them in a way that's subservient to our enjoying God. We must 
we must glorify them in a sense. How good that this thing is in a way that's subservient to saying how good God is. And so whenever something that's a legitimate pleasure comes our way, we should really relish it so that we can express how good God is. So Augustine then sees an idol in his heart and he wants to obey God in sexual purity, but how? How is he to do this? And he abandons himself here, you see, on grace to obey. There's both submission and dependence. Command what you will, there's submission, and grant what you command, there's the dependence. This is not an excuse to not obey. This is no license to wait for it, for some kind of spiritual experience to take us on some kind of higher spiritual plane, to make us A-grade Christians, to evolve as Christians. This isn't related to Keswick theology, K-E-S-W-I-C-K. It was a movement that still has, uh, has a big impact on Christianity today. It's that thought of let go and let God, to advance onto this higher spiritual plane, to to advance in sanctification, to even reach a, a kind of perfectionism. You just need to passively receive, and then it it's done. You, you're on this higher spiritual plane. The temptations are all gone. No, means are to be made use of. War is to be waged. The flesh is to be mortified. But all efforts at obedience are to be efforts at dependent obedience. Dependent obedience. Acting not in self-reliance, but God-reliance. Acting not in trusting ourselves, but trusting God. All of our obedience then, what this means, is to be an obedience of faith. So let me give you just three texts to demonstrate that what Augustine says here is not contrary to the Scriptures, nor to the spiritual strain necessary for sanctification. Philippians 2, 12-13 Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my absence, but much more in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for because it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So Paul is writing to these people, that he says they have a life characterized by obedience. And he tells them to work out their salvation and the grounds upon which they are to work out is knowing that God has worked in. So obey in faith, working out your salvation, knowing God works in you. Next, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-24. Rejoice always. 
Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is what God wills for you. This is what he commands. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every appearance of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Now, did you notice the litany of commands? Rejoice, pray, give thanks. Do not quench, do not despise, but test, hold fast, abstain. You have all these commands... And it's followed by this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. God sanctifies you. You obey. God sanctifies you. He goes on. He says, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Last text, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 8. His divine power, God's divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Command what you will. Commands life and godliness. And grant what you command. He's granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And he's done this, he tells us, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, because of what God has granted, He's granted everything that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. He's granted very great and precious promises, so that through those, We become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world. And for this very reason, because of this, he tells us, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He grants, and because he's granted, make every effort. God, command what you will, their submission And will what you command, grant what you command, there is dependence. This is the childlike obedience of faith that Augustine beautifully presents. And so, I commend it to you. Meridian Church, I love you. Grace and peace.